Well, let's take our Bibles this morning, and um, I almost feel like a little bit of a test today, Kenneth, after being told I'm going to be voted on in two weeks, but as a pastor, I'm used to that, and so um, I, I know how that goes, and I'm so glad to have been with you these last few weeks. Looking forward again to next uh, Sunday, working our way through this uh, passage that we're looking at in the Fruits of the Spirit. Uh, we have a ministry event going on this week. If you're looking for something to pray for in your life, we've got three days with uh, two state convention teams coming in here to the Atlanta area, and I'll be teaching them the next three days. We're excited about what that ministry is about. I visited a Sunday school class today and got to hear a lot of what was going on in people's lives and work and retirement and health. And uh, boy, let's just be active in praying for one another, uh, living together beside each other. And as we're going to see in just a minute, demonstrating some character traits that really help build the church and influence the community for Christ because um, last week we certainly were talking about the spiritual development of our life, the spiritual vitality as we called it. This week we're going to be looking at another dimension and that is relational tenacity, sticking with it when it comes to relationships. And in a throwaway culture, it's easy just to wad things up and throw it away. It's easy to, you know, just dismiss somebody or diminish somebody but the challenge we have is to live in right relationships with one another. And so today we want to talk about what it means to win with people. Uh, one of the influences uh, for me in the Fruit of the Spirit study was Stuart Briscoe. I don't know how many of you know him, a long-tenured pastor uh, from up north in the Midwest. And um, just really a unique way of expressing a variety of things. And one of his illustrations... Uh, kind of an extended illustration that had a lot of different facets and fingers to it, I think really helps set up today's message for us effectively because he says what a lot of Christians do is tape up construction paper fruit in their life as if it's real. Now, I can relate to the idea of construction paper. I've got a third grader and he loves to make things for me, loves to draw, to cut out, to paste. And if you're not in that season of life, I'm sorry, because that's one of the greatest joys to be able to, you know, in my office, always have the back of my office door with each of my children's work over the years hanging there and personalizing things. And it's a beautiful thing, right? It's a constant reminder throughout the day. Whenever my door's closed, I can see all of it. Whenever there's something new, I get to put it up and remember all of these great stories and experiences. And, and yet, as good as that is, the reality of that child is much better. And basically, Briscoe says, don't be guilty of pasting or taping up construction paper spiritual fruit in your life thinking that that's the right things he says really all that is is when we're self-reliant we go oh yeah I need to be kind to people and we try to be kind out of our human effort instead of really letting kindness settle in upon our heart we really try to be good towards other people without really letting the goodness of the gospel be at work in our life and he says that self-reliance is a lot like trying to be a billionaire who works for an hourly wage and pays their bills out of the hourly wage instead of out of this reservoir of huge resources that you really have and he equates that to say God has these huge resources available for us Instead of us trying to fake it 
and pay a daily wage and pay our bills out of what we make on an hourly job. He says, look, draw on the resources, these vast resources that God has for you. And those riches, when they're the reservoir out of which that fruit is born, then our spiritual life becomes really impactful. And you know, I think for me as I think about those illustrations and honestly have lived that illustration uh, in my own spiritual journey, I recognize that two things happen. When I try out of self-reliance to do what God asked me to do, I always burn up and, and kind of dry up. There's just that burnout experience of, hey, I've got to do this. I know I'm supposed to do this. But there's just no heart connection, no passion, no joy in doing it. And then the other thing, the second thing is this, that I don't find it's very effective at all. When I'm forced to do it, people see through it. When, when I'm manufacturing out of my self uh, efforts, people look at me and go, it doesn't seem real, it doesn't seem authentic, it doesn't seem like there's anything really to it. And, and of course, we know both of those scenarios are absolutely true. And what the Bible teaches us is something much, much better. The Bible teaches us that it is God who works to will and to act according to his good purpose. That's in Philippians chapter 2 where he says, okay, it's God that's in you and he's the one working it out. He's deposited all these good things in you and then when his spirit begins to work things out, we become kind of a, a minority partner, a willing participant but it's God that's really working all of these things out. And then the byproduct becomes this beautiful life that is lived authentically and openly before others. It impacts them, and it's very tangible in our everyday life. We're not compartmentalizing the spiritual over here and our regular routines over here, and, and the two never meet. No, no, no. Our regular routines become something that is mixed in with these wonderful, beautiful spiritual works that God is doing. So with that, let's read again the fruits of the Spirit. We're going to put it on the screen in front of you so you can follow along and just look at Galatians chapter 5 in verses 22 and 23. Here's what the Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. So a double negative there to really emphasize, hey, there's nothing against this as if to say there is everything of God's for this. Now, just to recap, if you're new in the room and maybe haven't been in church in a while and hasn't, haven't heard this series of message, remember, two weeks ago we said that the Father has an eternal plan to make you into the image of His Son. The Holy Spirit cooperates in that work day by day with ever-increasing glory to help you become more like Jesus, and ultimately Jesus is what you're going to look like as you meet him face to face in heaven, we shall be like him. And so Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working past, present, and future towards the outcome of helping you become like Jesus. 
Now, there are lots of places in the Bible we could turn to look for passages that teach us what it means to be like Jesus, but there's no passage clearer, more simply outlined or framed than the fruit of the Spirit that says, hey, this is what it's like to look like Jesus. And last week, we started with part number one and said spiritual vitality is where it begins, the love, the joy, the peace of God, all at work in your life. Today, we start talking about our relationships with others as we talk about these other three fruits patience, kindness, and goodness. Now remember the challenge in this, and we covered this last week. We said that our sinful nature is the problem, and, and I have a sinful nature. You know, it's easy to look at me on a platform. My hair's all fixed. My shoes are shined. I've got on Sunday clothes. I'm on the platform in front of people. I've got a Bible in my hand, and I'm talking about spiritual things. And it's easy to look and go, hey, that's spiritual. No, what it is is sinful. The flesh is sinful. The Apostle Paul taught us to think this way. And whenever we stop thinking this way, the accessibility of the power of the gospel is no longer available to us when we stop thinking of ourselves as the worst of sinners. Right? That's what the Bible says. Paul says, I mean, think about it. This is the Apostle Paul. He wrote half of the New Testament. He was responsible for the expansion of the gospel to parts of the world that previously had never known the gospel. I mean, think about this man. And he says, I am the worst of sinners. Listen, until we get to that place of humbling ourselves before God, it's difficult for the reservoir to be very deep because it's always going to be self-sufficiency until we recognize our God dependency. Now, there are three aspects of that sinfulness that he describes. He describes the sensual sins and, and he talks about our temptation related to human sexuality to deviate from God's plan. And whenever we deviate from God's plan, we're undermining that work of God. But he doesn't just deal with that sin. He deals with a spiritual sin. He, he says there's those that are tempted to make idols. And we saw the word pharmacology that says anything that I try to make myself feel better with apart from God can easily be placed into the position of an idol. And when there's an idol in my life, God can't be number one sitting on the throne of my life. And then finally, he talked about the social sense. And that has a whole lot to do with today's message because we're talking about our relationships with one another, being patient and kind and good but recognizing that our sinful flesh oftentimes has us fighting in opposition with one another. And we set up barriers, and we have offense against brothers and sisters, or, or we gossip, or we talk bad about, or we're condescending towards, or, or, or we're dismissive of. And he lists all of those sins as well. In other words, all of us have gu are guilty before God of sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God is the way Paul would, would summarize that in another passage. Therefore, all of us need this God work, God help in our lives. Now, that's not all that he said. He continued on and just summarizing the last two pieces. He said the fruits of the Spirit have to be a daily journey in our life. In other words, probably we're going to talk about some things here today that each one of us need to work on, and we're probably not going to just switch, flip a switch today in the service and walk out the door and tomorrow have all of our relationships perfectly right. We're probably not going to be perfectly patient or perfectly kind or perfectly good. But he says in this passage multiple times we need to be walking with the Lord. And if we're walking with the Lord in humility and in wisdom and in diligence, there's a growth that is occurring 
uh, in our life. And then finally, we said that God is ultimately the source of all of this. Now, with all of that said, let's break some new ground and let's look first today under the heading of how to win with people, let's look at that first grace, the first grace of relational tenacity, if you will, and it's patience. Do you see that word patience? Now, we don't necessarily live in a patient world, do we? We, we tend to live in an impatient world. Um, patience needs to be identified from within the Bible, and you've probably heard love defined as three different types of love that is talked about within the Bible. Has anybody ever heard that before? Raise your hand if you've heard three types of love. So there's agape love, phileo love, and eros love, and so there's three types of love in the Bible. Most of us have probably not heard that there are four types of patience that are talked about within the Bible. And here are the four types of patience. The first word means to be strong under pressure. And, and that basically means when negative things are coming at you, you don't react negatively to them. So, so here's the deal. Let's listen to me carefully, church. If your first reaction is negative when something happens then you are probably not having a patient reaction and your patience is probably not at a very high threshold. In, in other words, we have to be strong, see the word, under pressure. Look at the second word. The second word is to hold up under that we hold up under pressure. And listen, there's pressure in every dimension of life. For those of you who are students, you feel the pressure. The pressure of grades, the pressure to graduate, the pressure to achieve. For the teachers that are teaching, pressure to make it to the very end. For those who are enduring the sufferings of, of the effects of the tornadoes that have ripped through our community, it's, it's to, to remain strong under that pressure. And in doing so, here's what has to happen. The Bible talks about the restraining of ourselves. Look at the third word. The third word talks about endurance and perseverance. That's the way the Bible translates this next idea of patience. It is a control of your temper that doesn't easily succumb to the temptation of expressing itself. And then finally, the last word is self-restraint that doesn't retaliate when wronged. Now, that speaks to our culture significantly, doesn't it? When, when we're wronged, most in our culture want to lash out. But the Bible says, no, 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 there's a different picture of what the reservoir of God being present in your life draws upon that allows you to be patient in these circumstances. Now, as all of the fruit of the Spirit, patience has its ultimate expression in God's character. Let me say that again. Patience is perfectly expressed by God. Did you know that the Bible says God is patient with you? He may be patient with you right now in your rebellion or your willfulness or in your selfishness or in your pride. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you haven't repented of your willful sinfulness and turned to Jesus in faith, the Bible goes so far as to say that God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. 
In other words, God is patient with you. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad God was not only patient with me in salvation, but that God was patient with me in so many other fronts. I mean, do you know how many times I had to learn certain lessons in life or certain spiritual lessons multiple times? And and I'm sure God was in heaven going, hey, how long is it going to take for Rob to really learn what it is I'm trying to teach? But you know, God in his patience just kept bringing that lesson around and around and around and around. And I'm sure there are things he's still bringing around that he's waiting for me to learn. It may be in temptation that God is being patient with me in tests that God is being patient with me, in trials, that God is being patient with me. In other words, God is right now expressing his patience. And of course, many of us should be patient as God is working, being patient in prayer. You know, as a church, it's a little bit of an expression of patience right now as you are praying. You were just invited a moment ago by the chairman of the um, pastor search committee to patiently wait in prayer as you pray for God's servant to come and be your pastor. Boy, that's a a discipline that I would say would require some patience. But I think the things that can both be learned and the final blessing of that prayer being answered will certainly be an exciting day. Some of you may be looking for direction in your life. When I preach a sermon titled, something around knowing God's will, the room is always full. Do you know why? People want to know God's direction for their life. But usually in discerning God's direction for their life, there is the need to be patient. The Bible says that sometimes we're waiting for God to open a door, and it requires patience. Sometimes it's God's timing, and it requires patience. And so the Bible teaches us the importance of patience. As a matter of fact, in most significant Bible character stories that are revealed in Scripture, there is at some point the requirement for patience to be on display. Think of the Christmas story like a a Simeon and an Anna waiting for decades for the Lord's anointed, the Messiah, to come. And finally when he comes... Your servant can depart in peace, for now my eyes have seen the salvation of Israel. And so God is at work, and we have to be patient because his timing is not our timing. His ways are not our ways. And we have to remember that because when we try to put God in our box, we end up outside of God's activity for sure. Think of people like Joseph as he was tested And how patient he had to be, rejected by his brothers and in prison and forgotten by those that he thought were his friends. Think of Job and his suffering. Maybe you're suffering. I was talking with someone and praying with someone who's a member of our church uh, between services. And and he just became emotional about the, the, the trials that he was dealing with, the loss of a spouse, the diagnosis of an illness and just the need for patience to say God do on the inside the renewing even if on the outside I'm wasting away you see there's the patient orientation and this was taught to us from the very beginning in the illustration that that is given to us in the book of Romans when Paul uses the illustration of salvation through Abraham. The Bible even says of Abraham when summarizing his life in Hebrews chapter 6 that he waited patiently and Abraham received what was promised. 
Listen, God's promises are not slow. God's not going to withhold his blessing. God is good, as we'll see in just a moment. But when we are patient with God and with others, exciting, dynamic, spiritual things happen. Look with me at the second grace, and that is of kindness. Now, we're going to distinguish between kindness and goodness this way, and there's a pretty healthy discussion out there theologically around these two ideas of what does kindness mean and what does goodness mean. And we're going to talk of kindness in terms of what the Holman Bible Dictionary describes as the steadfast love that maintains relationships through gracious aid in times of need. Now notice that gracious aid, so external care demonstrated in times of need. Now goodness will look into the depths of the human heart, but kindness we're going to look on the outside. And so the idea here is that we demonstrate kindness, and, and the Bible's focus on this is especially to those who don't deserve it. Now, I don't know about you, but it's, kind, it's, it's easy for me to be kind to those who are kind to me. But to be kind to someone who is not kind to me becomes difficult. One particular friend of mine said it this way, kindness is treating every person every day like it's Christmas. Puts a face on it, doesn't it? Christmas seems to be as, as, as I've described it, a day when the world is as it should be. And a lot of that is because of the demonstrated generosity and kindness that is present. But kindness would say, hey, this is the way we are going to live our everyday life. This is going to be the norm. And that's what Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 says. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted." forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. So because of the gospel example of God's kindness to us, we now are kind and compassionate, tenderhearted. And listen, that is not the language of our world in the 21st century. It is a dog-eat-dog world. Get what you can while you can. Make sure you get your piece of the pie. Make sure you achieve and accomplish and have. But kindness steps back and says, no, I'm going to be demonstrating my kindness to others. I'm going to contrast my way of life with the angry, selfish world that minimizes kindness and maximizes selfishness. But we turn that upside down in the countercultural life of a Christian. You know, the story that probably captures this compassion and kindness the most is the story of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? So you've got the Levite, you've got the priest, and you've got the Samaritan. And, and the priest comes first, and, and he notices the guy laying in the ditch, but he, he says, I've got religious duties that I've got to be about, so I'm just going to pass by and go do what, what God wants me to do. The Levite gets a little closer and seems to have this disposition what would happen to me if I got involved in that situation? And he has a self-orientation. But the Samaritan does something unexpected and wholly different. He walks by recognizing that it is his responsibility to be involved and he shifts the orientation. He doesn't say, what's going to happen to me if I get involved? He, he says, what's going to happen 
to this man if I don't get involved? And the Bible says that he had compassion upon him. You see, that's that generous activity towards others that says, hey, I am going to get involved. Even though it may cost me something, it may be complex, it may be difficult, I am going to be involved in this. I remember hearing the story of how impactful this type of kindness can be. In North Carolina, where I lived, there was a lady that had become rather well-known uh, Rosaria Butterfield was her name, and she was an English professor who was known for embracing a very anti-Christian perspective related to human sexuality and all sorts of issues, and she just was the recipient of loads of support from one side and loads of anger from the other. And there was one particular pastor that took issue in her community with much of what she said and much of what she did but he did it in such a way that it was demonstrating love and kindness to her that she had never experienced before. As a matter of fact, she had two boxes on her desk. On one corner of her desk, she had mail of appreciation. And on the other corner of her desk, she had hate mail. And both boxes would fill up pretty fast given the kind of public figure and public expressions that she had. But this one letter from this pastor that took opposition with much of what she stood for, but did it in the most kind and compassionate and concerned way, she said, I neither put it in the hate mail or in the love mail, for it seemed to exist in a completely different category. She said, I put it in the middle of my desk. And she, she was so affected by it that one day in an especially difficult situation, she reached out to that pastor and he personified exactly that kind of kindness and that kind of compassion that eventually she stepped out of her anti-Christian position and into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And today she's a Presbyterian church pastor's wife who makes it her goal to live with that same kind of demonstrated compassion. Can I tell you how powerful that really is? You see, when, when I'm just angry at people and, and I'm going to let my vitriol be released on people and, and I'm just going to pit people against one another, there's no place for the gospel's engagement and involvement through my life, my words, and my activity. But when I step into that story, never surrendering the truth of what the gospel says, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that Jesus demonstrated his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that if any will repent and believe, they shall be saved. I mean, the Bible is very clear about the gospel saving message. But when I put on display, not at a pitted us versus them, them mentality, but I live in that space where the demonstrated kindness of God is on display. Listen, our lives become powerful lives that can be lived for Jesus Christ. Let me quickly go to the last thing. The third grace of relational tenacity is goodness. And this is the hardest one of all because if kindness speaks to our deeds, goodness speaks to our motives, speaks to our heart. And, and I was saying earlier, it's easy to look 
and see something spiritual, churchy, or religious and go, oh, that's, that's good. No, no, it's not. Not in this world. There's a story in the Bible, actually, that illustrates this for us. It's the young man that comes to Jesus, and, and he says in his approach, good teacher. And Jesus stops him right there, and he says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. In other words, he was asking, are you calling me God? What has God given you insight into about me? And of course, the story goes on and the challenge is issued. And the challenge lays present for each one of us. Are we good? And the answer to that question alone is no, we are not good. There is none that is good. No, not This is the participation part of the sermon. No, not, there's no one good. You're not good. I'm not good. Billy Graham wasn't good. Jesus alone, as God, was good. The rest of us can be made good. How can we be made good? Through the atoning death of Jesus Christ. That's when the seed of faith burst into the spiritual work of God in our heart and begins to work things like purity and truthfulness in love and joy. And until that happens, until the goodness manifests itself from the gospel, there is really no way for our lives to be transformed and to be good. And the Bible gives all all sorts of frameworks for understanding this. You can look into so many of them. Let me give you just a couple very quickly. In Ephesians and Colossians, he says, put off the old and put on the new. In Romans 12, he says, do not be conformed by, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. In Ephesians 4, he says, hey, don't be a child of the darkness, do be a child of the light. And what's he saying? He's saying that the gospel has the power to work the goodness of God into our lives. Love, joy, peace. The spiritual work of the reservoir of God being dug in our life. Patience, kindness, goodness. The work of God in our relationships one with another. Next week we'll look at the final three fruits of the Spirit that will frame this. Let me close with a few life lessons today. And those life lessons, let's give some dimensions. Let's give a church family dimension. Let's give a community dimension. Let's give a nuclear family expression to these applications. And and here's the first one that I would give you. That God desires for you to demonstrate patience and kindness and goodness within your church family as you encourage one another to become more like Jesus. You may just want to take a picture of those three. I mean, within your church family, God wants you to practice these graces towards one another. And in doing so, encourage one another to become more like Jesus. I think this is what the writer of Hebrews was saying in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, when he says, spur one another along. As a matter of fact, Paul, I think, unpacks this a little further into the passage on the fruits of the Spirit. He gets to 
chapter 5, verse 22, where he's talking about the fruits of the Spirit. By chapter 6, he revisits that idea, and he says this in Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. You will reap what you sow. The one who sows to fulfill the sinful nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to fulfill the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not, therefore, become uh, weary of well-doing, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, notice verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers, especially those who are the family of the faith. This week, patience, kindness, goodness, especially to the family of faith. Can I, can I give you a challenge this week? Find a way this week to demonstrate patience, kindness, and goodness to someone within the family of faith. I mean, this was Paul's John Hancock moment. He would write in that next verse, verse 11, See, I write with such large letters with my own hand. In other words, this was his self-declaration. I don't especially think of Paul as a patient, kind person because of how direct and challenging he was, but it was like his John Hancock moment saying, I'm going to write this with my own hand. I am going to put this gospel on display in my life. Can we do that this week? Maybe a, a second challenge for us is that God desires for you to stand out in the world by demonstrating Christ-like characteristics in your relationship with others. Maybe the challenge for us this week is this, to set apart Christ as Lord in our heart and always be prepared for the, to give an answer for the hope that is within us. And, and that next phrase, but do this with gentleness and respect. This week, in a moment of challenge, we all have multiple moments of challenge in a week, but this week, one time, in a moment of challenge, would you, instead of reacting in the flesh, would you step back and say, okay, this is my Holy Spirit moment to, to see and allow God to make himself known in me, and in this moment, instead of gut reaction, knee-jerk reaction, being, I'm going to tell them what I think, can you instead shift into a posture of demonstrating kindness and patience towards that person that otherwise you might not act that way towards? And in doing so, you bring God's blessing into your relationship with others. In an angry, hopeless, joyless world, I would say you would be as countercultural in that behavior is anything else that you could do. Here's the final thing that I'll say. That's the third time I've said the final thing. I promise this is the final thing. God desires for you to demonstrate healthy relational habits within your family. Healthy relational habits within your family. You know, usually it's within our family that we um, hurt those who are closest to us. In the work world, in the school world, in our relationships or recreation or activity world, we have a standard of decorum that we behave with even if there's not true goodness that stands behind that. Um, we, we know how as Southern Christians 
to give an appearance of something that may not really be true and we may even say something to someone's face that behind their back we act or believe or state something very different. Now I can say that because I've lived it. I know it. I know it very well. I've pastored in southern churches for over 30 years. I know how that works very well. Been both the beneficiary and the distributor of that bad expression of Christian faith. What I would say to you is we do the same thing sometimes coming into the church and putting on display our best religious activity and then in a similar way going home and thinking it's okay to give full vent to our anger, to give full vent to our heart of hate or vitriol or frustration. And we can oftentimes take it out on people at home when they should also be the recipients of the blessings of what our life in Christ should be. And what I would say to you is patience, kindness, and goodness have their best opportunity for expression and refinement within our homes. Because that is the truest test and the closest point of our sanctification. Let me give you an example while I'm walking down here from a, one of my favorite biblical stories. It's the story of Mephibosheth. Um, David has become the king of Israel after Saul and Jonathan have died. And David weeps over Jonathan's death, but beyond his weeping over Jonathan's death, he asks his other leaders, is there someone in Israel that I can demonstrate kindness to on behalf of Jonathan. Now just saying that was so radical. And it was so radical because normally when a new king and a new family came to power, do you know what they did with the old king and the old king's family? I mean, it was over. The custom of the day was cut off everybody in that line that could potentially be a threat to my household as the king. But not David. David said to his servants, search out someone that I can demonstrate kindness to. And so they brought word back. Hey, down in Lodabar, there's a guy named Mephibosheth And he's handicapped, but he's in Jonathan's family. So he was in Lodabar. Do you you get the picture? It's low, beneath the bar. He's not the one that you'd expect to demonstrate kindness to. And, And handicapped was not a favored status that society supported like is so often the case in our culture. As a matter of fact, they were outcast and usually left to an outright poverty-stricken, rejected life because people thought it represented God's curse upon them. We know that's not true, but that's what they thought in that day and time. (laughs) And that person becomes the object 
of David's compassion and of his kindness. And he says to him when they bring Mephibosheth up, Mephibosheth, you're going to eat at my table. Mephibosheth, you've got part of my farms. Mephibosheth, you've got my support from my staff and my servants. And Mephibosheth, I know who you are and I'm going to treat you like my dearest and best family member. See, see that's what patience and kindness and goodness does. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? As you do, maybe there's somebody that comes to mind that needs to be the object of your favor and blessing. Maybe there's somebody today that needs that lifting up. And you're just the person to do it. Maybe you don't know who that is yet, but you know you will encounter them weekly. And maybe instead of operating out of your flesh, you would operate out of the reservoir of God's grace and God's gospel. And you'd be somebody that picks people up. You pick them up with your patience. You pick them up with your kindness. You pick them up with your goodness. You do it in your home. You do it in your church. You do it in the community. You do it wherever the Lord sends you. Who would be the object of that expression of grace? I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer, and then I'm going to be right over here on the side. If you want to slip out and come and pray together, I'll be there to do that with you. As Jed leads us, we'll be able to reflect upon these things. Let the truth of God settle in upon our heart. You'll be able to be encouraged spiritually from the Holy Spirit's ministering of these truths to each one of us today. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer, and then we'll stand as we stand, we'll sing. If you need someone to speak to, either now or after the service is over, I'll be here. The other pastors will be as well. Father, we pray that this moment would be a spiritually reorienting moment in our lives. Lord, may objects of compassion and kindness be clear in our mind. May creative ways of expressing patience and kindness and goodness be it both our left hand and our right hand this week. Lord, let your spirit move freely in this place. Overcome strongholds, hear repentance of sin, work your work of renewal, be renewing us with the power of the gospel. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.